This morning, our scripture reading is from the book of Matthew. We are in a sermon series called Safe and Holy. Please follow along in your Bible or use the screens. I'll be reading Matthew 25, 22 through 29 from the New International Version. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You so, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. My name is Peter. I am one of the pastors here. Good to have you all here and be worshiping together. Uh, that was Carmen Brown who read the scriptures for us. I'm always digging around for people who would enjoy reading scripture. You don't have to be uh, great. You just have to uh, be willing to do that. And we'd love to have you serve in that way. So a special invitation, if you would like to read scripture in the future, would you send me an email? My email is in the bulletin, and I'll put you on a list and contact you shortly, uh, put you in the line up there. We are in a series called Safe and Holy, as Carmen said, and what we've been saying is that Jesus is both a safe and holy person, simultaneously, not either or, the way people tend to be. We've also been saying that when we operate out of deficit, when we have these needs, unmet needs that exist in us and we're not legitimately aware of them and looking at them, then they leak out in all, all sorts of ways and it tends to create unsafe people. Uh, one way that the scriptures talk about that is there's a bunch of people who are religious leaders, but they have this unmet need to be righteous all by themselves. They want to be great in their own eyes, and they use people all around them to try to feel better about themselves. So they're criticizing people, they judge people, they're negative as a way to feel better about themselves. If you look bad, if you are bad, then I am good. And that's an unsafe person. They claim to be holy, but yet they are unsafe. Here's a question I have for our church, our specific church. Do you think our church, Evergreen Covenant Church, has a future in our culture, in our neighborhood, in our city, 
unless we are both safe and holy. Now think about a friend you have or a coworker or a relative that don't believe in Jesus. Would you invite them to a church if we were really, really holy, but it was a completely unsafe place? Like they would feel totally self-conscious about who they are and how they talk and how they're dressed and what they like to eat. Would you invite them to church? Probably not. Would your children, would younger people who are really connected to our general culture, would they be able to relate to a church that is holy but unsafe? Probably not. They wouldn't be there going, give me the baton. I can't wait to take on the church. No. What about a church that's really safe, like anything goes, but there is no truth to be found anywhere? Just whatever you're thinking is true, whatever you want to believe, there is no ounce of holiness here. Just come hang out. Would that kind of church need to exist? Would that be even called church? How would that be helpful to people? How would the organization justify its use of resources? And so you think about it that way. I think about it and I realize I don't want to be just part of a group. I don't want to be part of any church. I want to be, I need to be part of a church that was just like Jesus' ministry, able to command a broad spectrum of people by being both safe and holy. Today we're uh, talking about the idea of holy. It's part two. Last week we talked about define, how to define ourselves and how to defocus other people. Today, we're going to talk about deciding and doing. Decide and do. Another way to say that is how do we move forward in life, in situations, in circumstances, in relationships, rather than being stuck? You ever feel stuck? Like this situation that you're in, it's been going on for a while. How do you get past that. And I think what scriptures teach us is that when we are able to move forward, to get unstuck, then we experience what it calls meaning. And life feels meaningful rather than frustrating, rather than meaningless. Okay? When you're stuck, you feel like it's meaningless. I want to put this quote up there again because it resonates so deeply with me. It rings true. An entire sea of water can't sink a ship unless it gets inside the ship. Think about the water that's out there and the ship. Okay, and the ship can focus on the water. It can be scared of the water. It can be overwhelmed by the water. It can feel threatened by the water. Or it could disrespect the water, not take it seriously enough. So with that image in mind, I want to paint you a couple of scenarios. These are A, B 
scenarios, and I want you to verbally say out loud which one you think is in general better. Life isn't either or, so it's not perfect. Uh, these aren't perfect answers, but choose the best one, okay? Now, what's better? A, a ship that's taking on water, falling apart, and being tossed back and forth to and fro. That's A. Okay, now you already know which one's better, right? B, knowing your destination, charting your course, maintaining the integrity of the ship so that it's not taking on water, and you get there, and you're able to dock your boat, plant your flag, and say, mission accomplished. Which is better, A or B? Right, because mission accomplished is greater. It's better than a failed mission. Right? Okay, that was an easy one. Okay, second one, A or B. What's better, A, gazing at each other and trying to extract meaning, acceptance, legitimacy, love, and purpose from the other person? Okay, that's a lot to look for in a person. That's A or B. Setting both sets of hands together on a common mission and working together towards the accomplishment of that mission and learning to love each other along the way. What's better? B. B is better because purpose is the very best context for relationships. When you are on mission together, then your relationship becomes proportionate and appropriate. And as you move together closer towards the mission, you draw closer together. You learn to love each other. But if you just directly gaze at each other, you become murderous because you do not have all that another human being needs. Whether you're trying to give it or get it, you will end up being resentful and feeling shortchanged and ultimately trapped. Life is meant to live in what the scriptures call fellowship. That's in loving partnership together. When you combine mission and friendship, you get the word fellowship. Okay, next one. A or B. What's better? Maintaining status quo, okay? Now, that's not always a bad thing. There's one scenario in which maintaining status quo is absolutely fantastic. And that's if you're God. Because God alone is perfect. He gets to be the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow because he's already arrived. Okay, he's already there. He can't be improved in any way whatsoever. Okay, so that's a huge clue. That's A, maintaining status quo, or B, there's new energy flowing in to your life or into the system. You have these dreams, and you get to accomplish these dreams, and you get to celebrate and then move on to the next goal and then accomplish that, and you get to celebrate, and all the while you are charged up. Which one's better, A or B? B is better because you are not perfect. Our organization is not perfect. Nothing in this world apart from God is perfect. None of us get to have the luxury of doing nothing. 
We are all called to live in this tension that's pulling us upwards and outwards into something that's newer and better. God wants to make us perfect. He says, be perfect just as I'm perfect. Be holy just as I'm holy. And forever and a day, that tension is going to exist. All the days of our lives, in eternity with God, we're going to be being pulled towards God by his perfection. It's going to draw praise from us. We're going to sing, holy, holy, holy. Eternity isn't, oh, I've arrived. Let me just sit here forever. Nope, we'll be learning and growing and working to know God perfectly just as he knows us. This is what it means for us to be creation and for God to be creator. And for our church, the mission always justifies the organization. We don't get to spend resources on maintaining status quo. We are called to move forward, to take on new hills, to continually be improving and connecting to the culture that's changing, to convey a changing, unchanging God. We don't get to exist. It's the mission that justifies the organization. Okay, next. What's better, A or B? Being reactive to everything fighting every battle, seeing injustice everywhere. That's A. Are you tired already? That's a tiring life right there. Or B, as the scriptures say, being carried along. And the issues that you are facing begin to fade in your rearview mirror. And the new scenery that's coming in is pushing out the old. And you want to be upset, but you don't have time because there's so much new and exciting that's happening. Okay, A or B, in general, what's better? B. Because why? Okay, listen carefully to this one. We're going to focus on here a little bit. Activity and fruit are different things. Just because you're doing stuff, just because you're busy, doesn't mean you look back on your life and there's stuff that remains. Jesus wants us to bear fruit, to engage in activity, to spend our time, talents, and treasures on things that will remain forever. We don't get to just live life for ourselves. If you are living in deficit, that means you're in survival mode. And at the end of every moment, all you have left is your own self-surviving. You're just existing. You're perpetuating your own existence. That's what you are going for, and that's what you get. But you look back on your life. You don't see any fruit. Nothing else remains. Why? Because you're surviving. But if you're not in deficit mode, if you're not in survival mode, then you get to say, okay, what is God's will for me here? Who needs to be loved? Which life needs to be touched? How can I serve? And then you look back and you see a whole chain of things. One of the best ways to know how to hire somebody is to look at what remains. Look at the fruit in their life. That is what they'll do in the job you want to hire them for. Activity and fruit are very different things. And you got to ask the question, do I want to just be active, be busy, to be busy and have my calendar filled? 
be reacting to things all the time? Or do I actually want to do the things that count? You know, professionals say we can only do about two or three things well. Okay, next one. What's better, A or B? Noticing and noting everything that's wrong with everyone and everything. You notice and you note everything that's wrong. Okay, that's A or B. You're receiving what you can. That means you're focused on what's positive, not what's negative. You're receiving what you can and you're focused on getting the job done. What's better, A or B? B. B is better. Why? Because you are not a consumer. God didn't create you to just be the judge of all things. Did you know that? This is a revelation to me. <laughs> I thought this was my job to criticize everything around me, to have an opinion, to have an educated, well-researched opinion. No? Is it your job? If your spouse is sitting next to you, look at him and say, sorry, honey, that's not your job. You're fired. Or you can say, the Lord of the universe created me to be the critic, to, to be the criticizer of the universe. That's my job, to, to make commentary. My purpose in life. No. God created us not to be consumers, but to be servants. To look at something. If something is wrong, roll up your sleeves. How can I help? What can I do? Oh, this isn't optimal. This isn't great. It could be done better. Great, let's do it. How did God make me? What are my gifts? What do I bring to the table? What's my value add? These are good questions. It's much easier to sit there and go, ah, oh, that wasn't good. What's wrong with that person? That's easy. That's not a job. You don't get to get paid for it. Okay? Next. What's better, A or B? A is feeling helpless, powerless, victimized, trapped, and you sit there entertaining escapist fantasies. That's A. Okay, and B is you take inventory. You figure out who you are, who you're not. You're able to defocus others, and you take action. What's better, A or B? B. Because why? Moving forward covers a multitude of sins. There is no shortage of water, wind, and weather to focus on if you want to. If you choose to take that perspective, there is always water, wind, and weather to complain about, to feel threatened by, to complain at. There is. Life isn't perfect. People aren't perfect. Things are happening to you all the time. If you want to be upset about that and focus on that, you can spend a whole lifetime grumbling. You can. There's no shortage of that. But if you choose instead to move forward, if you choose to do that, then the mistakes you might make as you take steps forward, they are so minuscule 
in the context of the direction of movement. If you choose to stay stuck and focus on the things that are wrong with the world, you may not make mistakes. You're just making a big one all the time. But if you move forward, you may make make middle mis- little mistakes. You may get the wrong job for a while. You go to the wrong school or you do the wrong thing. An hour is lost, two hours, whatever. But in general, you are moving forward. And that covers a multitude of sins. Okay, last one. What's better? Analyzing, calculating, researching, thinking, obsessing, being fearful, feeling stuck and paralyzed. That's A. Or B, moving forward, taking in new opportunities, allowing serendipitous encounters to come your way, and you feel within your heart that hope is rising. What's better, A or B? B is better. Because why? Progress is greater than perfection. Do you know that seeking perfection is a form of being stuck? Do you know that perfection doesn't actually get you very far? Somebody in the first service said, you know, we say in the car business, perfection is a march towards death. Now, I listed all of these out not to describe all of you, but this was just me taking inventory of my own situation in life. This is me on display here. This is how I trip. These are my landmines. I want so much for the bees to be true in my life. But what's my problem? I can't always be that way. I know it's better, but I feel stuck. It's like something is like not quite working on the inside. What's your problem? Those are my problems. What about you? I want to bring you in a little bit into my business. And uh, uh, this is sort of a work in progress disclaimer here. I'm going to hang the wet paint sign and tell you this is going to give you a little glimpse into my, the smallness and the fragility of my existence. Okay? And this is not a cry for help. This is me sharing uh, Peter's story. So yesterday, on Saturday... We went to the Chase drive-thru. When we got there, there was one car ahead of us, and it was 12.58. Chase closes at 1 p.m. We have two minutes to get some cash out because we identified a table we wanted to buy off of Craigslist. For those of you that don't know what that is, that's an internet posting site. We have a used table from West Elm. We were going to be able to get it at one-third the price. A really good deal for a solid hardwood table with a walnut Uh, veneer, finished dark, beautiful lines, expandable, just perfect for our space. And we were getting this table because our dining space is a little bit on the narrow side. So our 48-inch wide table right now is crowding out the seats. So we wanted to get a 38-inch table. And guess what the width of this table was? 38 inches. Perfect. So we get the cash. But while we're waiting there, this lady will not move forward. And I could have sworn that she was trying to get a loan through the drive-thru window. Because the teller went back, I, I kid you not, three times back and forth. Like, what is this lady doing? And what I wanted to do was lay on my horn for like 30 seconds. I was so afraid that if I didn't get there by 1 o'clock, they were going to shut me down. And I couldn't get the cash I needed. Right? 
So that, that happens. And then we get our cash. And then we go to uh, West Seattle and we look at this table and it's beautiful, but it's not perfect the way it was described. So we get even more money knocked on. We're super excited. We get this table and he was meticulous. He had a bubble wrapped and everything. We bring it home and we're just letting it just stay there because it's like beautiful. And I want to take in the moment. The kids are all excited and curious. Dad, please put the table together. Dad, please unwrap the table. Do something. I'm like, oh, let me just enjoy this. And then finally, I get on my hands and knees. I put the legs, uh, leg set on the table. The table's upside down. I have my tools. I have my manual Allen key wrench and I have my impact driver. Which one should I have used? I take out the Ziploc bag where he said, These, this is the hardware, the screws. And I say, great. I take it out. I lay it out. They're all the same screws. It doesn't matter. Okay? So I put one screw in, and I get on my knees, and I test drive my impact driver. For those of you that don't, that don't know what an impact driver is, it's got a lot of torque. Okay? I put all my body weight into my shoulder, down my arms, into the drill, and it gets stuck about halfway through. There's still about a half inch of screw left on top. And I'm thinking, oh, there must be something wrong because it's stuck. So I said, let me solve this problem by squeezing my trigger. And the screw went through. I said, oh, great, it worked. It must have just been stuck. I move over to the next leg, take the screw, put the driver in, pull the trigger, and get stuck at the exact same place. Oh, man, what's wrong with this thing? Squeeze the trigger, and it pushes all day through. But then I noticed this time that the table lifted off the ground. <laughs> and then my heart sank, and I started feeling sick to my stomach. I put my fingertips in under the table, lifted up the table, and then I felt on the surface of the table. And guess what happened? The screw not only, screws not only had pushed through, because these are flat, 3 8 inch machine screws. They're not sharp, so the screw didn't just come through. It broke through the hardwood and the veneer and cracked it open like this. And then when I pulled the screws out, it squeezed the carpet that it was laying on, and it's got all these fibers now sticking out of the jagged on two places of this beautifully finished walnut hardwood table from West Elm. And I wanted to kill myself. <laughs> and Susie looked at me like, what have you done? <laughs> and the kid said, Dad! <laughs> and none of the resources I had emotionally could stop from what happened next. <laughs> and so I just dropped everything. I didn't say anything. Susie, what have I done? The guy gave me the wrong screws. I'm going to kill him. <laughs> How could West Elm make a table like this? And why did you make me go get this table? I wasn't saying any of this. I was thinking it. I was feeling it. I wanted so much for redemption to happen right there. Oh, I still feel sick to my stomach telling this story. The table is still sitting in my house. <laughs> now, we have a lot of problems in life. This is Calvin selling a swift kick in the butt for a dollar. 
Hobbes comes along and he says, how's business? And Calvin says, terrible. That's hard to believe, Hobbes says. I can't understand it, Calvin says. Everybody I know needs what I'm selling. <laughs> this is a temporary solution to a permanent problem because we are stuck. We are stuck all the time in our ways, in our habits, in our thinking. With my table scenario, my first go-to was blame shifting. I just couldn't just say, oh, it's the water's problem. It's the wind. It's the waves. What's wrong with this weather? I wanted to do everything but own what I had done. Why are we stuck? Are you stuck? Let's check out this video of somebody who's stuck. What's our problem? Why are we stuck? I have one little thing I want you to notice in today's passage. Okay? Just one thing. I have no multiple points. Just one thing. Verse 24 to 26. And I want to read again just verse 25. It says this. The master confronts him. And the man who had buried the investment that the master made in him says this. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And the master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. There's a beautiful insight here that I want to point out to you. We all, I think, have points at which we are lazy. None of us are diligent everywhere in our life. We all have some area where we are passive, where we make excuses, where we are extremely non-confrontational. We are stuck. Some might even say we are lazy. But none of us are just lazy. I would submit to you that behind every point of laziness in our life, there is some kind of fear. This is what God himself is saying about fear. That fear breeds passivity. Do you know that even a, a desire for perfection is a form of fear? The scriptures tell us that we are made for faith. To join God in what he is doing. 
that the kindness of God, the love of God leads us to repentance. That is action. But here we are stuck. We're not just stuck. We are stuck because we are afraid. All of us have these dreams in our life. And it's important to identify dreams in our life. But we stay stuck in these dreams, remain dreams. Because we're not willing to talk about the nightmare scenarios that also exist within those dreams. What are you afraid of? What's causing you to be stuck? There's this myth of certainty. We think, if only I can be certain, then, well, then nothing. There's no such thing as certainty or perfection. Those are all masks that cover up fear. Several months ago, I talked about research by a woman named Ingrid Wickelgren, who talked about psychological capital and this fear that we have inside. The scriptures tell us that perfect love casts out fear. That when God the Father loves us deep in our hearts, then we begin to experience a kind of releasing of the self from the fear of life. We're no longer operating out of deficit. Every situation isn't about our survival. We're not trying to get something because we are already held and loved. Our security is secured. So we're able to see beyond ourselves to the mission, to the needs around us. And we're able to give of ourselves, not get for ourselves. Perfect love casts out fear. Now, uh, in verse 26 and 27, we get a little glimpse into this man a little bit more. He says this, the master says this, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, and I gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. And here's the question. Was this servant doing nothing? Was he completely passive? Like, without action at all? No, the answer is no. What was he doing? You know what he was doing? He was spending a lot of time and energy contemplating his master. He's sitting there going, okay, my master is the kind of guy that likes to gather where he hasn't scattered. He likes to harvest where he has not sown. Okay, that's him. All right, how do I please him? He just was obsessing about the master. In his heart, he didn't trust the master. He didn't know the love of the master. He didn't know the spirit of the, uh, of, the, um, uh, of the task that was given to him. But nevertheless, he was obsessing about the master. And then, not only that, afterwards, he spent a lot of time scouting out the very perfect spot to bury the golden he walked over here and thought about it. What about this little patch of dirt? Oh, I don't know. Or too many rocks. What about this patch over here? Probably too much clay. And he thought. He did research. He did homework. And then he spent a lot of time finding the, just a perfect shovel. It had to be perfect. And then he spent a lot of time digging, making sure it was at least six feet deep. And then he put the gold 
perfectly in the hole, and they spend a lot of time covering it up, and then a lot more time after they're anxiously waiting for the master to return. In other words, he was engaged in a lot of activity, but then at the end of that activity, when the master returns, all he has to show for it is one dirty gold coin. What is the difference between activity and fruit? Activity is somebody who is operating out of deficit, living in fear, unable to comprehend the point of life. They live managing their own anxiety, obsessed about perfection, and they are frantic instead of fruitful. And they don't get the job done because they are too worried about themselves. The saga continues with this table. Susie has been on the phone with several people at West Elm. And there is a small chance they might just swap it out for us. Wouldn't that be fun? (laughs) That would be so great. But here's what we realized. The table is just a thing. It's just, it's, just, it's just a few hundred dollars. It's just money. But that thing becomes disproportionate in our lives. If I am not loved. As we together as a family prayed about it. Susie and I together prayed about it. Then I prayed about it. Susie prayed about it. And then our whole family, we went all around in a circle. Every little kid praying prayers about this little table. And you know what prayers came out of us? Prayers for God to love us through this situation, for us to know that he cares, that our life is not our own, to bear the weight of and survive on our own. We just want some sort of story that tells a story of God's love. That's what my heart's great desire is, that this little storm isn't going to break apart this ship. I'm not proud of the story but it's a story of my own fragility and my own need for God in my life and the fears that can be tapped into at any given moment. I've been doing this other thing called 90 for 90. You know what that is? That is uh, doing something for 90 minutes for 90 days. Today is actually day 42. I woke up at 4 a.m. this morning. Usually it's not that early. I had a special task today. But last week I got stuck. I've been waking up and trying to do stuff before the family wakes up. But I just felt like I couldn't do anything. I just was there. And as I started praying and searching my own heart, here's what I, what I realized. I don't want to just be a self-made man. I can't be. I don't want to tell the story. You know how... Because I did 90 for 90. No, that's stupid. I want to feel the momentum of God in my life through the 90 for 90. I want to feel the will of God through it. I want to feel like the Holy Spirit is part of it. I want to know that I am loved. And that's how there's fruit in my life. Not because I'm just a strong, competent, disciplined person. That's not the story. That's not how it works. There's a myth of the self-made man. So as we conclude here, I want to ask you a few questions and give you two very specific things I want to invite you to do. Number one, what are you afraid of? 
Number two, what are your nightmare scenarios? Three, desire, your true desire. Do you desire in your heart being stuck and complaining about everything and everyone? Or do you desire to move forward in your life? Only you know the patterns in your life. You know where your points of stuckness are. And then lastly, do you desire frantic activity to be busy? Or do you want fruitful, meaningful action? You want your punches to count? Or do you want to beat the air? Here's two specific application points. I want you to name before God in your own heart one thing that you're stuck in in your life. Just one. And then with this one thing, I want you to invite God's perfect love to uncover for you the fear that's resident within that and pray for God to heal you and to allow his perfect love to cast out fear. Okay, so let's bow our heads together. God, we pray before you this morning, bringing our one thing that where we are stuck, where we are lazy, really where we are fearful. And we don't think we can just will ourselves unstuck. We want to be able to chart the course and accomplish the mission in this area. So God, we pray for your love. We pray for your help. We pray for your mercy here. Whether it's a relationship or a dynamic or a job situation or a lack of one, whatever it might be, maybe it's a personal issue or demon that, that just has power over you. God, without oversimplifying anything, we bring the whole issue, the complexity of it all before you, and we ask you to just move us forward in that area. Allow us to experience the wind of your Holy Spirit there. In Jesus' name, amen.